Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There, you'll also find important announcements, along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. Our scripture reading and our teaching text comes from Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said these things, he was going on ahead, and he was going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as As he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stories will cry out. The stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. word of the Lord. Friends, welcome up. Pastor Hannah Estabrook. Well, good morning. It is Palm Sunday, as you know. Uh, For those of you who grew up in the church, by show of hands, were any of you ever in an Easter pageant? Yes, we got a few hands. Great. So was I. Um, So I actually grew up in a church that had a massive sort of music theater ministry, and we did this Christmas production, except we told the whole story from like Christmas through Easter in this big production, and it was a big to-do every year when I was like in, you know, high school. Uh, And I was not a very good actress, Uh, I was not a very good singer, so I was placed in the crowd. Uh, So if you've ever been in theater and you've been in the, you know, sort of chorus or crowd, 
maybe it's not because you weren't as bad of an actress or singer as I was, but I'll just say for myself uh, that what this meant for me in these Easter pageants is that I was absolutely one of the people who would go, you know, walk throughout our very large sanctuary. We had a donkey and everything. And I would wave, I'm not kidding, camels. It was a whole thing, you guys, I'm not kidding. Uh, I was waving palm branches. And then a couple of songs later, I would be in the crowd shouting, crucify him. And I remember as a teenager thinking like, oh, this is weird. But also, again, in theater, if you're in the chorus, you might in one scene be sort of like one kind of character and then in another scene be a different kind of character. And I thought that that is what was going on, because otherwise, why would I go from celebrating Jesus' arrival and two songs later shouting, crucify him? And I remember asking questions about that. And of course, what I came to realize, and what we'll look at in part today, is that in fact, it was, it was the same folks, the same crowd, that just within days had sort of changed their mind and were, were shouting something different. So this begins our holiest week of the year. The story of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem is recorded in all four Gospels. He enters into a massive crowd of people. They call it the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus comes in. Folks are waving palm branches. Some of you have those today. Uh, And palm branches were to signify victory and kingship. Uh, and, and, you know, he was, really, he was really being celebrated as everyone was getting ready for Passover, of course, the holiday to commemorate the Hebrews' liberation from slavery in Egypt. So this is a moment in our story where the temperature is really being turned up in the sense that until this moment, Jesus' ministry, had he had done a lot of, you'll remember from stories throughout the gospel where Jesus will say things like, you know, let's keep this, keep this quiet, you know, don't tell anyone about this, or don't say that it was me. Um, so there's kind of a hush-hush quality in some ways, but this is a moment where Jesus not only allows and receives, but kind of instigates the recognition of his kingship. He isn't holding back anymore. And of course, claiming to be king is a threat to the Roman rule at this time, and claiming to be God is a threat to the Pharisees' religious authority. So this was, in many you know, crowds, unpopular. But Jesus, again, instigates this recognition of his kingship to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9. I'm actually going to read a little bit of that, because uh, maybe because it's my last sermon here, but I just am an Old Testament girl. So um, in Zechariah 9, the first eight verses in chapter 9 um, really tells the story of God sort of saying, here's how I'm going to deal with each of your enemies, Israel. And, it's, it, and it would be tempting to think that this is a very militaristic sort of Um, picture as God is saying, uh, you know, you, my people, have been oppressed, and here's how I'm going to deal with the people who have been oppressing you. And then in verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey." It goes on to say, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the house from Jerusalem, I'm sorry, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. 
So they, the people in Jerusalem here, had been waiting for a long time, right? This is a prophecy they would have been familiar with. They've been waiting for the fulfillment of this. They've been waiting for him to conquer the Roman rulers. Their sense is victory is near, nearer than it's ever been at last. So in this story, we have a people who have been waiting a long time for the fulfillment of a promise. Things are going great in this moment. They're worshiping, they're celebrating. And their conclusion is that, oh, Jesus is here, he's on our side, and we're in the winning team. We're victorious. But actually, they're not seeing Jesus completely accurately. They're viewing Jesus as a trophy, a symbol of victory. And of course, Jesus' arrival on a donkey instead of a war horse should have been a clue. I'll say more about that later. As Jesus had been explaining that he is going to have to die. But the people didn't seem to get that. They still want a warrior king. And in Luke's telling of this story, he includes this detail that Jesus wasn't actually celebrating in this moment. He was weeping. And he weeps because they don't get who he is. He weeps because the nature of the human heart is to praise him one moment, but to scream out for crucifixion the next minute when something doesn't live up to their expectations. This is a really bad joke, but I've heard it said that some people actually said we should call it Face Palm Sunday because you can almost imagine Jesus being like, oh boy, they don't quite get it. (laughs) So take that if you... (laughs) find that funny. Anyway, so we, we know how this story goes, right? Like, we know what's coming. Uh, we know that this is just part of the story, that Jesus is going to have to die, but he's also going to be resurrected. Uh, so we might be tempted to, to read about this crowd, this fickle crowd that, you know, celebrates Jesus one moment and days later shouts for his crucifixion, and we might judge them, and we might think, like, how can people be so fickle? Again, because we have the benefit of seeing what's on the other side. I think that's really important because there were things they couldn't see. Because when we're in the midst of something where we don't know what's going to happen, we do the same thing. Isn't this true for us? As we've been working faithfully to steward the project of the Abbey, we have also been waiting. We've worshiped and we've celebrated. We've had moments where it's felt like God was really blessing this community. Uh, And in a moment like this that we're in as a community, I will admit I want a warrior king. I want a victorious Jesus to rise up and slay, maybe not literally, but our enemies, and make a way for us to keep going and do this thing. And it started to become clear that if we kept pushing and demanding we would be missing and misrepresenting Jesus, who invites us to the way of humility and death. So again, Jesus is not shying away here from his position as king, but he clarifies that later in, uh, in John chapter 18, we read, my kingdom is not of this world. So again, he declares his kingship, but also lets us know my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus did not choose to be greeted with palm branches, this symbol of military victories. He chose a donkey. He chose a symbol that emphasized humility and lowliness 
instead of military strength. And not just a donkey, which is a contemptible animal. <laughs> Low and slow. But a colt. A colt, which is especially unmanageable. So when we read in Zechariah 9.9, which is this prophecy, I can almost imagine Zechariah going like this. Again, after reading you know, recording these eight verses of how God is going to deal with each of these oppressive enemies, to then say, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey? Even on a colt? The foal of a donkey. Right? It's not the thing that you would expect as you're reading this prophecy. It's not the thing that the people wanted or, or thought was coming. So what symbol do we want to choose in this moment? We can wave palm branches. And by the way, that's fine. We can wave palm branches. Shouting in support of the Jesus that we've created in our minds, the Jesus who is on our side, victorious Jesus against you know, them, whoever them is. We can shout loudly about Jesus, but are we paying attention to his actions? I think the invitation today is to look through the crowd at Jesus, who shows up on a donkey weeping. And by the way, this is in the prophecy too. Later in Zechariah 9, verse 12, it says, Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have hope. This very day, I'm declaring that I will restore double to you. That stronghold is Jesus. Look through the crowd. Look at Christ. And we're talking generally about this crowd and their fickle nature, but just to put a fine po point on it, these, those who were closest to Jesus at this time also did not understand this moment. In John's telling of the triumphal entry, it says in verse 16 of chapter 12, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. His disciples did not understand. Even, by the way, after the resurrection, in Acts 1-6, his disciples ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still, post-resurrection, expecting earthly, kingly, messianic figure. Again, I'm coming back to Zechariah 9, because it's all in there. It's all in the scriptures. In verse 13 of Zechariah 9, it says, For I will bend Judah as my bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim, and I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. God is saying, I am not going to use weapons. You all are the tool that I'm using to bring the kingdom. You who have been oppressed, you who have been wounded, are becoming the weapon for the kingdom of God. So the disciples, though they know this scripture, again, didn't quite get it. They're not quite realizing that his kingship and his path to the cross go hand in hand. 
So to clarify, though Jesus of his own kingship says that his kingdom is not of this world, it doesn't mean that his kingship is for another time and place. It's not somewhere else. It means that his way of being Lord of all right now is not affected in an earthly fashion through military power, through wealth, through domination. His kingship and the kingdom, which is real and actual right now and something we've been studying together since the fall, is affected in other ways. Not by lording it over others, but by serving. Not by being richer than others, but by emptying himself. Not by demanding the death of others, but by offering himself for others. His kingship is real and actual and not of this world. And once the people in Jerusalem understood this, they clamored for his death. We only see darkly. Just like the disciples, we cannot see how God is arranging all things for us. We don't have the luxury of what's knowing, knowing what's on the other side of things. And I don't know about you, but right now in a moment where there are things I cannot see and understand, it comforts me that those closest to Jesus also couldn't see what he was doing. So friends, on this Palm Sunday, we celebrate that the king is here. The kingdom of God is coming. And that this does not always feel celebratory or victorious or triumphant. Sometimes it feels like death. What we know, of course, on this side of history is that death is not too big to be overcome. And for that part of the story, you'll have to come back next week. This week, we get to journey with Jesus through his Passion Week. It's a week that kicks off with the symbol of a donkey, a lowly animal. Later in the week, you'll get a chance to notice the symbol of the basin and towel as Jesus lowers himself to wash the feet of his friends. And on Good Friday, we'll reflect on the ultimate symbol of humility, the cross. As I close, I want to read the beautiful words of Scripture from Philippians 2 that I think sums it all quite well. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name, by the way, they would say some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So maybe it's because it's my last sermon at the Abbey in the way that we know it. Maybe it's because it's Holy Week, but I think I just want to say, friends, If you do not know this Jesus, maybe it's time to get to know him. 
personally, this is the Jesus that draws me in. No other religion or way of understanding the world offers this, a humble king, a king who weeps, who serves, who dies. If you do not know the deep, deep love of God for you, my prayer today is that you would see it, experience it, taste it in the humble king who shows up on an unmanageable donkey. Just pray with me. God, we thank you for the way that you are in our world. And though there are things we cannot see and cannot understand yet, we declare today, maybe with trembling bodies and maybe with fingers crossed a little bit, but we declare that we trust you, that we are with you this week, that we will journey with you to the cross. That as you draw near to us, we will draw near to you this week. Be pleased with us today, Lord. Be pleased with our worship. In the name of Jesus, I pray.